Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this week? Good. Yeah. Good. I want to thank Charles real quick. So Charles sent me the Python workbook he put together last night with waste by licensee by day, which is the exact data point that Hydrocarbon Solutions has been searching for. Um, and I think it'll be helpful for anyone who's interested in cannabis waste. Um, and I think we were talking about last week how perhaps people in other states could even look at Washington and you know learn from us. So it could be helpful to waste producers in other states as well. So good work there, Charles. Do you have any comments? Um, so, you know, take, definitely take a look at it and see how you want to display that. There's over like 1,100 different producers that produced waste. And so I wasn't sure how to like display that. Well, I would just start with just, just average. So just what's the average amount of waste per licensee per day. And so I would maybe start there. Um, so that, that way you can just get a singular time series. You could look at like the, the top 10, you know, see what, what the top 10 producers, how much waste they're producing. Um, and then the, this one, you didn't really need to sort it by licensee, but it would also just be interesting to look at total waste by day. So. Okay. So those are the three metrics that I would start by plotting. And then those are just all time series. So you could get more creative than that, I'm sure. Okay. All right, well, I'll, uh, I'll keep, you know, plugging away at it. Ooh, speaking of getting creative, if you were, so one of my favorite types of figures is a map. So you could potentially have a map um, and have almost, um, I'm not sure how you could do it. I wonder if you could almost do like, like radial sizes. So you just have bigger circles around um, the bigger, bigger waste producers, but I'm not sure if that would really make sense. But, um, that way you could almost get like a geographical sense of where all the waste is. Yeah, maybe like a heat map of Ooh, a region. Exactly. A heat map would be a good one if you're feeling ambitious, but you have the data, so it's possible. And if you need to geocode the addresses, Canlytics has a little utility helper that for the most part, you can just toss in someone's name, just their licensee name, and it can get you the geocoded address. Okay. But, uh, but anywho, good work there. And I think, it's, how about maybe I'll take a look at that. We can digest it. And then if you want, we could look at that, look at your waste data next week. Okay. Um, see? So that's awesome. Good to see you here too, Nick. I've actually got something interesting for today. So 
Last week, we started looking at the inflation of cannabis prices in Oregon. So, finished um, compiling that data. So, let me just go ahead and push it up to the, the cannabis data science repository here. And then I will go ahead and just start showing you just a bit of the, the progress, um, you know, that I made on calculating inflation rates since last week. So, oh, <laughs> little, don't worry, Charles, didn't miss anything. I'm just opening up the presentation. All right. All right. So it is actually April 21st. However, this is essentially the presentation I put together last week. So Charles has seen this. Nick, I'm just going to run through this real quick just so that you can get up to speed with the data we're looking at and the stats we're trying to calculate here. So we're looking at total cannabis sales in Oregon, and we can break that down by product type. And this is available through Oregon's public data dashboard for the cannabis industry. And they update their data quickly. So you have everything through the prior month. So you have everything up through March of 2021, which is phenomenal that they publish their data so quickly. Yeah. Um, did they fix that dashboard? Because last time I checked, it was like, I always had issues, but maybe I had just yeah. the wrong link. But like, it, it would always just air out and nothing would show up. So that's... Yes. So the, da the dashboard is a little tricky so it, it when you access it it's actually an http address and you may have to hit the advance you know proceed to an unsafe website button okay all right and so it may look like the website's unavailable at first but essentially i think they're just running on HTTP and then most, you know, modern browsers, you know, warn you against, you know, navigating yeah, to some HTTPs. It's worse than that. It means that they have, that they're running HTTPS, but they have a self-signed cert or one that can't be verified. Ah, oh, thanks. Thanks for chiming in. So it's, so exactly. So it's good to hear from someone who's, you know, lose their computer science. So, so thank you for chiming in. So, so you know, maybe it proceeded to your own caution, but in this case, I went ahead and, you know, collected the data because the data is valuable in our case. Yeah. So, and the, the other thing is, 
you may figure out a niftier way. I essentially, so here I'll show you what the 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 data portal looks like. Um, so, so as you know, we've noticed, um, you know, it's you know not secure, but um, we're not posting any sensitive data here. So. So long story short, you can download some series, but some series it's hard to download. So I actually just actually transcribed the 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 figures and you know I put them here in the well I may have saved oh yes. So essentially I've just transcribed the numbers here into into Excel. So you know you can double check double check my work um, and that I transcribed everything correctly. But if you can think of a niftier way to collect this data, then by all means um, have at it. So back to the presentation. So we've collected sales data. We've collected price data, and we're curious about inflation of prices. So, of course, you notice right off the bat that you know prices in the first two years decreased dramatically, as you would expect in a new market. So, as things are coming to equilibrium, as people are figuring out how to price their products. And then you notice in the longer run, prices seem to stabilize and you have steady, it appears that you may have steady, you know, steadier inflation at this point. And so that would just be, you know, a moderate increase in prices over time. And then we've noted that Economic theory would suggest that sales and prices would be correlated with the interest rate. Notice the cannabis industry is a little unique, so it may not be as strongly correlated with the interest rate as other industries may be. And so we're just going to see if the interest rate is any can be helpful to predict inflation in the cannabis industry or not. So here you see the interest rate is lower to, you know, near zero um, in early of 2020. March of 2020 to be specific. Well, maybe February. Next, we're going to try to estimate output, inflation, and the interest rate and just for a reasonable timeline, we'll just do through 2022. So just for the remainder of the year to see what output and inflation may be in Oregon this year. So we are using economic theory. However, the statistical model is a theoretical. So it's really just taking any vector of time series and using historical observations to forecast 
that data forward. It's useful because you can apply it to really any time series data. And as long as it's coming in at a, you know, a regular interval. Um, so that, so you can look at daily data. Um, if you're looking at actual individual transactions during the day, um, there's statistical problems there. And then the other major pitfall of vector autoregressions is of course, if you look at our equations from earlier, you'll see that there are a lot of variables. So sales depend on sales from however many periods ago. So they may depend on one, two, six periods ago. Likewise, it also depends on inflation from one, two, six periods ago, n periods ago, however many lags are in the model, similarly for inflation. So if you only have, so in this case, we're looking at monthly price data. So we're just looking at the number of months really between 2017 and early of 2021. So we have about 50 observations here. And so we're going to be chewing through our degrees of freedom quite quickly, because if say you just had one lag, then in this first model, you would have you know, four parameters times three models. So that would be, you know, 12 parameters with just one lag order. So with 50 observations, you probably couldn't estimate a, the VAR with a lag order of six. You probably would not have enough observations. So, so keep that in mind when you're estimating your VARs. So that's why monthly data can be a little tricky. Weekly data is, is nice. And then daily data has its advantages um, because you get a lot of observations. And my only observation is it depends on your, your forecasting horizon of you know, which frequency you want to choose. This is just a, a slight note that just says that we don't actually think that, well, essentially we're just saying, we think that people essentially take the interest rate into their calculations when they're making decisions. So the Federal Reserve can, you know, change it, you know, however they want, people are just going to change prices and act accordingly. So enough of that. Let's go ahead and get into forecasting. So real quick, just to run over the 10. So these are essentially 
uh, Professor Professor Iqbal at UNC Charlotte just told me these ten steps to forecasting, and they've been pretty. They proved pretty useful as you know ten steps to follow when you're doing forecasting. The first, we need to know what we're forecasting: the inflation rate in Oregon, cannabis prices. We need to understand why we're forecasting because we want to know how prices are going to be moving in Oregon. Um, as we've saw, it looks like there's going to be moderate inflation, but we want to actually quantify that. And we need to acknowledge the cost of the forecast error. So that would just mean we can't, you know, take too much stock into our forecast. So you know, what's the cost of overestimating inflation and what's the cost of underestimating inflation? Because, you know, if we put these forecasts out there and businesses make decisions about them based on what they think prices may be, you know, they need to take into consideration what's the chance of overestimation slash underestimation. So that's a tricky one, um, but important to take into consideration. Next, we just need to know the horizon, which we're just going to be forecasting through 2022. Long enough to be useful, however, not too long that it's unrealistic. We've chosen our variables. Inflate, inflation, output, and interest rate. And we've chosen them because of economic theory. We've then chosen a vector autoregression to do the statistics. And that fits our economic theory. And it's a simple, well, relatively simple statistical model that we can also use for forecasting. We'll want to present the results in some sort of figure. And I'm not sure if you've heard of Edward Tuft, but he would always emphasize that you need to show the data in some sort of beautiful figure. So we'll throw out some charts. Then we'll want to interpret what, what predictions we've made. So we'll want to see if you know inflation's rising and decreasing. What's our confidence? Next, we'll essentially want to use recursive methods. So what this means is we want to keep forecasting each month. So we'll want to revisit our forecasts next month and compare our forecasts to the actuals and see if we can't make better forecasts the next month. And when we do that, that brings us to the final step is when we when we look at our forecast next month, so we'll be forecasting April sales today. And then in May, we can actually check our forecasts and see if the model we selected was a good predictor. And we may need to select a different model if our forecasts were wildly wrong or you know, slightly adapt the model or um, stick with it if we can't find a better model. So 
that's a quick background. Are there any questions before we jump into the code here? All right, so I just opened up Spider here. There's nothing special about Spider. I'm getting used to running Python in VS Code. However, I'm still still just faster and more effective in Spider. So until until I'm better in VS Code, we'll be here or another editor. I've heard of. PyCharm and Atom both seem like good choices. I haven't tried either. Your weapon of choice. Okay. <laughs> so the, the packages we're using today are essentially numpies and pandas. And then I'll be reading in a federal thread API key from an environmental variable, an environment variable, and then we'll be using the thread API to, to get the interest rate. First things first, we need to read in the data so I'll just be reading in this data that I've scrounged from the Oregon dashboard. Just to look at, you know, the first observations. Notice we don't really have consistent prices across the board until about 2017. So a professor in college really emphasized you never want to throw away data. However, in this case, just for simplicity's sake, I'm restricting the time period to 2017 and onwards. Just, and that's for simplicity's sake. If you have a more elegant way estimate the models and by all means so we're looking at data from 2017 through march of 2021 and first rule look at the data so what are some of the variables we have here we've got total sales We've got flower sales. We've got concentrate sales. I thought we had retail flower. Prices. Okay, so we've got retail flower prices and we have retail concentrate prices. 
So those are our variables of interest. And so last week we talked briefly about how to, to calculate the CPI. And just to show you our presentation from last week with my chicken scratch. We basically noted that the consumer's basket of goods is about 60% flour and about 40% concentrate. So if you were going to calculate the CPI, which is a price index, so you can think about a stock index, which it just sort of measures the general trend of all the goods in, a, in the basket. And so our basket is concentrates in flour. So our CPI will be the sum of all prices times their weight. So that, so we can actually do that here in Python or your favorite programming language. So essentially, we can calculate the share of flour out of total sales. Rule number one, look at the data. So as you see, flour was making about 70% of all sales and it's actually decreased which is interesting and is now maybe maybe kind of stabilizing around 55 or so percent um so that's quite interesting then you can calculate uh, concentrate share of the sales and so this should be roughly the inverse where you have concentrates, because keep in mind there are also edibles and other goods. So this is a you know we we are excluding some data here. So it would be nice to have prices on edibles, but edibles vary so much across the board that it may not be comparing apples to apples, yeah. or. Um, infused apple to infused apple yeah that, that's what sucks about this is they kind of lumped everything together like edibles and like and like some of that's a lot you know like because the concentrate would include like oil then too right like that yes so it's, it's a lot of different things that they put in there and then on the manufacturing side like we have to consider this as by retail sales so they went if we're forecasting we have to actually like consider there's a markup and so we're because we're trying to get back to like what we sell it at so it's it, it gets a little complicated it, that's that's a really good observation and, and you know from someone who's you know in the industry because as you've noted they're sort of aggregating everything here and as you said there's a wide there's wide array of concentrate goods so you've You've got your, you know, everything. So you've got, you know, your really high percentage distillates to maybe just some lower percentage waxes and other oils. Mm -hmm. and 
And then, I mean, there are concentrates being made and sold to edible producers and, um, and then how do you classify something like just like infused, like, um, you know, the, you know, when they make like moon rocks or something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, moon rocks would probably be technically a concentrate, but that's hardly the same thing as an oil. Okay. But taking, taking it as it, taking what we, what we have, um, taking our lemons we'll we'll try to make lemonade um so we've got we've got the share of flour and the share of concentrate which are actually um by themselves are interesting figures so now we can calculate the cannabis cpi which will be the flour share of prices times the retail flour price plus the concentrate share of sales times the retail concentrate price. And so this, you can maybe calculate this in a more glamorous way, but that is essentially this calculation here. So we'll calculate the CPI. Let's just look at it just to see what it may look like. However, the nominal value doesn't matter too much. It's more about the trend. So the trend, we can calculate what we've defined as inflation, which is just the rate of change of the CPI. So we'll basically just be looking at the CPI. And so just to go back to the presentation real quick, so it's basically the CPI of today minus the CPI of yesterday divided by the CPI of yesterday. Last week, I just made a crude hypothesis that it would be between one to 3% on average, which would maybe be what you'd expect then maybe in a more mature industry. So, Let's go ahead and calculate this and run it. And I'm actually so so it's kind of jumping across the board. The first thing I notice is it is negative, which Negative inflation is deflation. Deflation from the you know the the federal level is is not desirable. So deflation can have bad effects. So from a consumer's point of view, if there is deflation, then you know that prices are going to be decreasing. So you know prices next week are going to be lower than prices today. So it gives you the incentive to wait to buy your goods next week. So if everybody's just waiting 
as long as they can to buy their goods, then it's going to decrease, you know, the the economic demand even more. So it's so businesses they're already struggling for demand, and now consumers are postponing their purchases. So they can, so the businesses don't have much cash flow. So it's even harder for the businesses. They lower their prices even further. And so you can get trapped in essentially this cyclical deflation. That's sort of bad uh, in the economy as a whole. Like I said, the cannabis industry, it's sort of this short-term shock where things needed to stabilize. There was just this, you know, this, I think there was even a note in Oregon where they were just saying, oh, there's so much supply. So just in this first few years, everyone's sort of figuring out, okay, what is the level of supply? What's the level of demand? And prices were, it appears were just too high. Um, or, or not too high, but maybe those were the prices maybe when you were expecting more of a, a gray slash, you know, transitioning from a black market. And then as more producers entered the market, you see things stabilize over time. So it looks like it took about two years for, for you know, people who were thinking about entering the market to enter. Um, so, so this is the time essentially where everybody's entering the market and the people who aren't any successful may be exiting the market. And then it looks like by about 2019, things are starting to stabilize. So let's actually just look at inflation in percentages real quick because that's typically what you think about. And then let's just look at the mean. So as a whole, prices are decreasing. I would just note that, so if you just look at the, you know, the last two years, If you just look at the last two years, you know, inflation maybe is around 0.5% per month, which is maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's closer to typical. So maybe, you know, maybe moving forward, you know, you may expect more, you know, you know, this slight, you know, 0.5% a month inflation, you know, maybe there's some shocks here and there, but I would, you know, Personally, I wouldn't expect this deflation to continue. Right. So, so that's just sort of our, our crude data analysis. So now let's grab the interest rate and start forecasting here. So you can get your API key for free from the St. Louis Fred. They're a good resource. I'm just starting to you know, try to incorporate them into my work um, just to get some more data points in here and 
the, the this is the effective federal funds rate and it, you know, it can be a good starting point and it looks like something went wrong So, not 100% sure. I'll have to investigate what that was after this. But long story short, we've got we've got the interest rate now. Um, I think it, that was maybe some sort of error, maybe reading in my API key. Anyways, moving on. We've got our interest rate now. So this. So we basically just read in the tail end here of the interest rate. And we'll use it in our vector autoregression. And like I said, next next month we can compare our forecasts and perhaps even maybe even next week we can maybe even try a different forecasting model and then compare the two forecasting models. So and we could try next week to just do an auto regression of inflation. And then we can compare that to the vector auto regression and see, you know, what, what forecasts better, the, the more complex model or the, the more simple model. Um, so, and that's, you know, that takes us to our, you know, our 10 commandments where, you know, we wanted to use recursive methods. Okay, so we have our total sales, we have inflation, and we have the interest rate. We're going to toss all of these together into a vector. And so just to show you what the vector looks like, so basically, this is sales, this is inflation, and this is the interest rate in time period zero, which would be 2017 January. So, so this is sort of what, you know, the the vector looks like. So to, just to show you what's happening under the hood. And so now I wrote a scrappy vector autoregression and I wasn't actually very pleased with how it was working. So I actually noticed that you can actually just use a vector autoregression in the stats models package. So it saved a lot of time um, and it's, you know, a bit more flexible. You've got more contributors, so more, more stable than my scrappy uh, VAR model. So we'll, we'll, use, we'll use this one from this package. And so let, let's say you're just going to fit Well, this one has my notes on it. Um, 
So here's our three equations. So let's go ahead and fit this. So output, inflation, the interest rate. And we're just going to use one lag order. And so what we've done here is we've basically estimated three ordinary least squares regressions simultaneously. We've, so this is our first regression. So this is our regression for output. Then this is our regression for inflation. And then this is our regression for the interest rate. And so as you see, each one has a constant. And then these are the coefficients. So this is beta, this is gamma, and this is delta. So we've estimated quite a lot of parameters here. I'm not sure if they tell us the our degrees of freedom here, but um, but long story short, we were we were able to fit an AR one, so that's a good sign. Next, if you were going to fit multiple models, so say we're going to fit an AR two, so we're now going to use two lags. So here are our three simultaneous equations. And now you'll notice that we have two lags of each. Yes, so two lags of each variable. So there's output lagged once, output lagged twice, inflation lagged once. Inflation lagged twice, the interest rate lagged once, interest rate lagged twice in all three models. So that is a lot of parameters. That is 21 parameters, I believe. So that's one, right? So that's six, seven, right? Seven times three it should be 21 parameters. So I'm not sure if we can. It's going to be tough to estimate too much larger. However, we can try. But we need some way to compare these models to each other, right? Because we could just do this all day if we have a large enough data series. So centrally, we need to have a criterion. Centrally, the BIC, the Bayesian information criterion, it rewards you for making better predictions, but then punishes you for adding more and more predictors, more and more parameters. 
So the BIC is a useful way to measure which model is a better, which model may be a better choice. So as you'll notice, this model, we've tossed in a ton of parameters, so we may be able to predict a little better, but we've got a BIC of 22. And this model has a BIC of 21. And so we want to pick the model with the minimum BIC. And so in this situation, the AR1, it's more parsimonious and it's actually the, the, better, the better model choice if you're choosing by BIC because you're essentially overfitting with this model. Um, and it may lead to bad out of, you know, out of sample predictions. So that's sort of a long explanation of what we're about to let stats models do for us automatically. So we can actually just let stats models say, okay, why don't you try every model up to, you know, uh, lag order six and just tell me the best one based on minimum BIC. So we can just let stats models do that for us and save us a lot of programming because you could program that up yourself. Um, but we let stats models do it and look at that. They tried every model that they could fit up, you know, up to lag order six. I'm sure the, the higher order lags, they weren't able to fit successfully. And so they, they determined, okay, the model with the minimum BIC is actually the, the lag order one. So that's just our first model. What this is, is this model, but without the dot, dot, dots. So we're literally just doing YT on YT minus one, inflation of T minus one, the interest rate of T minus one, and so forth. So we finally get to the goods. Um, so we've got our best model. Let's forecast it and show the data. Maybe I ran that twice. Not certain why it's printing twice. But anywho, here are our forecasts. So we, this legend's a little in the way, but there's our forecast for our total sales. Here is our forecast for inflation. So slightly rising. And then our, see, this is interesting. So our forecast for the interest rate is, you know, negative. But as you know, as we know, the interest rate can't be, well, it can't be nominally below zero 
Um, so the you know the Federal Reserve has to um, use monetary policy, quantitative easing, and other tools in their toolbox to 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 a, you know effectively drive the interest rates below zero if they if that's what their policy. So that's the plot. I will admit that I am uh, just now learning the stats models packages because I would like to actually print out what this um, series is here, um, but I am not certain that I know the I may need to learn the the stats models package a little bit better to actually get you these raw data points here. However, here is the the package I'm using, and there is a lot here. Um, so I've just hit the surface. You can you can do error analysis to make sure you're not doing anything crazy. Um, we've done the lag order selection. And then I think for maybe in the, in the future, I would like to show you how to do impulse response functions because you can actually say, okay, well, what would actually happen if there was a shock? in prices how would that affect output or if there was a shock in the interest rate how would that affect prices or sales so all three of these series are theoretically related to each other you know particularly sales and prices so it's so Long story short is you can use these impulse response functions to to you know sim you know to simulate shocks. So like what would happen if all of a sudden there was a a recession or, or and so so these could be useful for you know simulating um, harvest spikes in October or something like that. So you know so perhaps for next week we can we can dive into that. And I'll actually want to show you the actual numbers here, but um, but that is sort of the the, the conclusion of my um, my spiel here on on it, on forecasting inflation. And so I just maybe like to to open it up uh, if there are any questions or anything. Were you able to, is that beneficial or there are avenues for better analysis next week or? Um, no, it was, it was interesting. I, you know, these are things that I don't think about. So it was good to learn about, you know, uh, how you go about forecasting these things. And uh, so it was cool. It was, it was, you know. I learned something. Okay. Okay. What are some of the things you think about? Because this may have been 
I, I'm not sure. This may have been a bit too, I don't know, economics heavy. So what are some of the things that you're thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, you know, that's kind of uh, in my in my data science journey, I realized there's like a data science food pyramid of like things that you should know. And so I know everything at the top and I know everything at the bottom, but there's this middle like sort of business understanding, business storytelling kind of thing, which I don't know. And so I don't really, I, I'm trying to learn that kind of thing. And this was, this is a, you know, these presentations have been really good for that. Well, that could also just be my style. Um, so, you know, so that's sort of, from my experience, that was, so I attended a lot of seminars when I was in uh, college and that's what I noticed made the most successful presentation slash papers is when you sort of, when you sort of tell a story and you let the models evolve. So you start with some sort of business question. Um, so, you know, in here we start, it, it helps to start with just a figure. Um, so start with the data. So we just started with, you know, what we're looking at, sales in Oregon, prices in Oregon. And we sort of just let the model evolve naturally. So we start as simple as we can with essentially the growth rate. So you start, you know, with the simplest statistics you can calculate, and then you gradually make it more complex. So really before you jump to the VAR, the VAR, you'd really want to just estimate a, a VAR, which we've kind of done. Well, I'm actually, I'm not sure. I'll have to review it. We may have done that in prior weeks, but essentially you let the model become gradually more complex, but you know, still keeping in mind your, you know, your initial objective. Um, yeah, and then you just, yeah, you, and then, you know, as you're, you're doing your analysis, you know, you'll be calculating, you'll be calculating other metrics of interest, right? So we calculated the share of flour, we calculated the share of concentrates. You know, all of those sort of add to, you know, the, you know, the story we're, we're telling here at this presentation. Um, and so you sort of, you know, build these pieces here. Um, yeah, they're just sort of pieces of your analysis um, that just gradually gets, you just keep adding to it until you've, you know, you've done sort of an in-depth analysis on the subject at hand. And then you've answered sort of your question at hand, which started by just looking at the data. We just basically wanted to know What's the trajectory for inflation? What even is inflation? Um, so we were able to, you know, gradually build up to that. 
And then we can answer that question. We can say, oh, it looks like despite, you know, historic deflation in the first two years, you know, we predict, yeah, moderate inflation. And I wish I could print the numbers and actually give you the, the number here. But yeah, we predict, you know, moderate inflation here through, throughout the rest of the year. And you could keep taking this story further and keep adding steps to it. So you could say, oh, like, what's going to happen if there's a, a harvest spike or or what about this? Or can't we estimate an even better model? So, and that's where sort of papers build on each other is because then you kind of can continue someone else's story by saying, oh, picking up this story where they left off, I'm going to, um, you know, add to their model. But, but, that, but that's, that's my approach is just start off simple and then just sort of document, document your steps, you know, instead of just jumping to the end and just saying, oh, I'm just going to do a, you know, principal components analysis, or I'm going to do, you know, machine learning algorithm X, Y, Z, you know, instead of just jumping all the way there, it, I find it's more informative to start with the basics, and then build your way up until until the machine learning algorithm is actually like the next reasonable next step. Um, because eventually, if you kept taking this analysis further and further and further, I mean, machine learning would be the rational next step. Um, I'm just not. I just wouldn't start with it right out of the gates. <laughs> So that's a long-winded answer, but um, you know I resonate with that the, with, with that statement you made. Yeah, cool. That's yeah. That's you know I think kind of the lesson that I've been learning, and you know, and everybody emphasizes machine learning a lot, but actually there's a lot of steps before you get there, and before it's even useful. Um, ah, recruiter. Oh. <laughs> They like, they never stop calling. Um, but anyway, I, I read a really cool article in the Oregonian and I'm trying to figure out how to share it because the Oregonian is making it more and more difficult to read their articles online and share them. But um, there was an article about the counties and the towns along the Oregon-Idaho border and how, because, you know, um, cannabis is legal in Oregon, but not in Idaho, that these towns have, you know, like on the weekend, they have huge, huge um, influxes of people uh, from, from Idaho coming in and like the per capita cannabis sales in these towns is like four and five times the amount it is in like Multnomah County, which is like the most populous county in, in Oregon. Oh, gosh. Oh, because people are oh, coming in from Idaho. Coming in, yes, and so and, and and you know, and there was a statement from like somewhere, some somebody in New Mexico, and they're like, "Yeah, we needed to legalize it before Texas does, so that we can, you know, we can capitalize on those sales." So it was yeah. really interesting. And I guess that's one of those things where it's so hard to capture that in the data, and 
I'm not even sure what the the laws on that are. Um, maybe, uh, <laughs> but that that's up to the the individuals uh, who are doing that, I suppose. But um, yeah. I know there's a town called Ontario, Oregon, that's right on the Oregon Idaho border that has a pretty big, big dispensary. So, well, has a dispensary, so they're, they're making money from both states. Well, the people in Oregon are just saying, "Hey, we're just we're just opening up shop. Uh, what, what, we're not doing anything wrong." So, yeah, um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting observation, and um, I you yeah, that's something to think about, Charles. That if there's any way to parse that out of the data, um, I don't know if the Oregon data has a geographical. Um, like component to it, but uh, I don't know. That may take a bit more expl exploration. I'm not sure if you can get sales by licensee in Oregon or not and try to do a geographical analysis. Well, I mean, whoever wrote, you know, whoever wrote this article was able to figure it out. They were able to do like a per capita analysis. Oh, okay. Okay. So you may they may have county by county data. So you may actually be able to do some sort of analysis there. So that perhaps actually for a future meetup we could do geographical analysis there because like I said, I think the geographical dimension is an incredibly interesting one. It's can be tricky, but we've got the counties, so that, I mean there's no reason why we can't do some sort of analysis. Yeah. Yeah, and that Ontario is only like Oregon's only like so? less than an hour away from Boise, Idaho. So I bet Boise's people from Boise are like, because Boise is a college town too. So you you probably have a lot of people from Boise just drive to Ontario to, to pick up stuff. That that would be a real interesting analysis, and you could extend that to a bunch of states because that would be interesting to see. Um, if you have like this like border phenomena in in cannabis states where of course you would expect like the cities to to be like um high in sales but then yeah it would be so funny if like the border towns were all high sales too yeah but that, that's interesting observation and um could be a good opportunity for analysis yeah <clears throat> so I think I'll go ahead and guess unless anyone's got any more, you know, topics at hand to talk about it. Um, I think we've kind of reached, uh, reached the hour. So unless anyone has something to throw on the table, I may go ahead and uh, go ahead and include it here Okay. until next week. Okay. All right. All right. Well, th thank you all for coming. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for your contributions. It's always it's always awesome to hear from you. And then next week, we'll see if we can't look at Charles's waste data, touch up the inflation data if needed, and then and then maybe yeah, start some geographical. Cool. Small analysis of, of if we can find that county data. 
Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you. See you later. Uh, thanks. Thanks for coming. And until yeah. next week, have an awesome week. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye.